here. So yesterday, over 50 of us ran into Salt Lake City, or South Salt Lake City, and uh, did some more work on some homes. Still got my green team band on. Yeah. How many of you were, anybody here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A few of us were there yesterday. It was awesome. We were in the rain all day, got muddy and made it happen. In the home that we worked on, we basically spent all morning doing nothing but finding junk in the back of a home, and I'm seeing nodding heads, junk, and just ripping it out, and basically turned a backyard that was a jungle into a yard again, and uh, it was just, it was a fantastic thing to be able to see the transformation again that we can make in the homes uh, right here in the neighborhood. And so we have a next project, if you're interested in joining us, it's um, my garage, all right? So... (laughs) We sign-ups will be in the lobby uh, later if you want. <laughs> no, but I, uh, seriously, I open up my garage door, and I, every year, right, every spring, you just have to go, uh, we do, we have to go in, and we just empty that thing, man. We just gut it, and maybe you do that with your closet or in your home, but in the spring, what happens is we find things that used to, at some point, have some value to us, and now they just don't anymore, and since they don't have value for us anymore, we give them up, <laughs> And we get rid of them. Either they get old or they just don't work anymore or we just don't like them, you know. Or uh, sometimes we get rid of things that bug us. Like, do you guys, you know, like toys that make noise, right? <laughs> like you find a reason every spring. I don't care if it's your kid's favorite toy. It's time to get rid of that thing. All right, you guys having a baby, get ready for toys with noise. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> but what's interesting is there's all these things you don't value. And so you get rid of them. But every time I do this as well, I find things that I keep around forever. <laughs> like I have this sweatshirt in my closet that I, like 25 years ago, my buddy and I went up the East Coast and uh, went in, uh, did, uh, it was a great trip, but I grabbed a Rhode Island college sweatshirt and I still have that thing and I never wear it. I, I don't know if even know if I think if I put it on, it would fall apart, right? You know what I mean? There's no more, the sleeves are all worn out, the collar's worn out, and yet I won't get rid of that thing because some reason I value it. And if you value something, you just don't give up on it. And so that's what we're kind of looking at today, is why is it that some things we're so willing to give up on and other things we won't? And it's really a value thing. So when we get to relationships, because we're in this love series, When we get in these relationships, the truth is all of us, every one of us in this room, have had people give up on us. People have either left us, they've abandoned us, they've broken up with us, or they just distanced themselves from us, which can be just as painful, right? And lots of times, if we look at that, what it feels like is, well, the reason we're doing that is because we can't quite measure up. I can't quite get it right. I I feel like I fall short of some things. And what we find, you guys, is when that happens, because all of us, again, in this room have had that happen. When that happens, especially if it's a significant relationship, then what our hearts actually can get very shaky inside. There's not a sense where there's a security, where there's a firm foundation within your heart. Because you just found that, you know what, if I don't quite do exactly what I should do, people will all of a sudden not value me. They can actually leave me. And you know what's interesting? And I, whether this is true or not, what it feels like when that happens is it feels like somebody's saying, you or this relationship are not that valuable to me anymore. How's that feel? 
And yeah, we're in here right now with those emotions going on. And that can be with marriage, right? That can be at work. That can be friends. That can be right here in the church. It happens all the time. And, 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 and the reality is, since most of us have had that happen, how many of you have ever done that to somebody else? Okay, a bunch of liars. <laughs> if you're human, you've done that to others. In fact, for some of you, you're doing it to people right now. You're distancing yourself because they're not quite measuring up. They're not doing things right. You're thinking about quitting on them. You're thinking about getting rid of them. And so what's crazy, you guys, is today we need to look at that and say, now is that love? And we're going to put some love on display here. All right? That's the series we've been talking about. And why we're doing this is because Jesus Christ, who's the one that we worship, man, that we believe in, that we put our hope in, while he was here on this planet, he displayed perfect love, holy love. We got to see God's love, you guys, displayed in the flesh. And it was so perfect. We started this series on Easter because that celebration is that Jesus, on Good Friday, when he died on the cross, he took, it says he took all of our sin on himself, which means he took all of your selfishness, all of your love that gives up on others, he took it away and he put it on himself and it caused him to die because sin, the consequence of sin is death. So Jesus Christ dies because of our sin, but then that great verse, death found it impossible to hold him in the grave. Is that not great? So he dies and death is like trying to hold him and they can't because in Christ there was no sin. He had loved perfectly every single time. And that was this righteous power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. You guys don't, I'm going to bring this up almost every message because this is our hope. Jesus Christ is alive today to pour his spirit of love into your hearts. And that's really hopeful because now well, his whole plan was, I don't want to be the only one who's displaying this type of love. I want to get inside of hundreds of thousands of millions of people. I'd love to get inside of everybody and actually put my love inside of you so that you and I can put God's love on display in our relationships with each other and around this world. So now here's what, here's what we've heard a few weeks ago. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that counts is believing with all of your heart and putting your trust in that and then expressing that in love. So here's what I'm going to challenge you today. Will you believe, not know, believe that there really is a love that never gives up? Will you believe that? And will you put your faith in it? Will you totally get to the point where you receive it and then the only thing that counts is faith. So you believe that God's love is really like this. And then you express that faith in love. And then we'll express the same thing to each other. And I tell you what, man, if you and I will do that, this type of love changes people's lives, you guys. It just does. All right? So let's pray together and let's ask Jesus to come do that for us. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thanks for showing us through his life, what it was to be in a perfect relationship with you, what it looked like to love you with all of one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. And thank you, as we're going to look at today, what it looked like for Jesus to love people perfectly with a holy love. And I'm asking God right now, you know the hearts that are in this room that are broken, that are wounded, because they've experienced a love. They didn't last. 
And I pray that you'd come into this place today and may this seed of truth take root in our heart. Really, God, change us. Heal us today. Give people hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's start right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. All right. So great little verse. It's number seven. It says this, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. And I, I, whenever I get to this passage, I always love to, since God is love, lots of times I'll just put God right in there instead of the word love. So we can say, God never gives up. God never loses faith. He is always hopeful and he endures through every circumstance. Isn't that not good news? See, there is a love, you guys, that's different than what all of us have received here on this planet in our human relationships. So what I want to do today is I just want to want to walk you through Jesus' relationship with one of his disciples, Peter, okay? Anybody in here like Peter? Okay. If you've read the Bible, I don't know how you don't like Peter. He's just a big goofball, all right? Peter is a brash, bold, what we're going to see here, proud son of a gun, man. This dude blinks he can do anything and everything. And the greatest part about Peter is he just keeps screwing up. And that's what we're going to look at today. How does Jesus engage with this guy that he loves when this guy keeps falling short, when he keeps failing? So let me just walk you through some of the great stories for me with Jesus and Peter. Let's see how this works. So the first one is uh, the disciples are all in a boat and there's a storm out happening and all of a sudden they look out and they see a ghost walking on the water and then they finally realize it's Jesus, right? And so they're all, who who are you? Jesus says, it's I. And of course, who jumps out first? Peter. And he says, Peter, tell me if it's you so that I can come out there as well. And, And here's the one thing you'll find about Peter is Peter's always the one who goes first and then all the other disciples go, okay. They'll kind of follow behind him. So sure enough, Peter jumps out of the boat, and he's walking on water. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? And so then what happens is all of a sudden the waves start to crash up, and the the wind comes, and he freaks out, man. He gets full of fear, and so what happens? He he sinks, and he's falling down. Oh, Lord, save me. Jesus grabs him, and then Jesus says this, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? See, so... Peter's the one, he's rambunctious, he makes the step, but then while he's out there, he can't quite do it. He doesn't have enough faith, and he falls and he sinks. And then there's this great passage where Jesus is asking his disciples, he says, hey, who does everybody think that I am? So the the disciples, well, some people think you're this, some people think you're that, some people think you're this. And then Peter steps up, because Jesus says, well, who do you guys think that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. It's a great moment because Jesus looks at him and he goes, oh, this is getting good. Because Peter, you didn't figure that out. Nobody can figure that out. He goes, this was revealed to you by my father. You've just had a revelation of who I am. And then he looks at Peter and he says, actually, I screwed up because up until this point, he was always called Simon, actually. His name was Simon. And then it was in this moment that he says, from now on, you're going to be called Peter. You know what Peter means? It means the rock. And he says, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter, on this understanding right here that I actually am the son of the living God and that I'm the Messiah and you put your faith in me and you follow, I'm going to build my church on that rock right there. It's a great moment. Peter's like, dude, I got the right answer. 
ding, ding, ding. You know, he's all excited. And then the very next verse, it says this. From that point on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples how he must suffer many things, be crucified, and die. And so Peter, right, bold Peter steps up and he goes, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Right? He's all excited because he's got the right answer. He's got, he's got it going now. He's super apostle. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Anybody ever say that to anybody else? You guys use that phrase? Seriously? I, yeah, I do all the time, man. You know, if I'm trying to lose weight and somebody throws ice cream in my face, I'm like, get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> See, because really that's what this is. He says, get behind me, Satan. Listen to this. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Man, how, how do you think Peter felt in that moment? I mean, in two verses, he goes from super apostle to Satan. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you know what you are? You are a stumbling block to me. Now, Peter wanted to be anything but that, right? But he just couldn't get it right, man. He kept failing. Now, here's what's crazy. The very next chapter, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, come on with me, you guys. And they go up on this mountain. It's called the transfiguration happens. It's just an incredible moment where they actually get to see Jesus in his glory. I mean, it's is it a phenomenal moment? So Peter's all psyched, right? And he goes, Jesus, this is good to be up here, man. Let me build some shelters and we'll just hang up up here. And I love it. The very next verse says, um, while he was still speaking, <laughs> a voice from heaven came down. I think that's important. While he was still speaking. Have any of you been interrupted by God? <laughs> I mean, it, it, so basically he goes, while he was still speaking, he interrupts him and he says, this is my son. Listen to him. <laughs> So basically he's saying, Peter, shut up. <laughs> he's going off on what he wants to do, and he's wrong again, and he puts him in his place. He says, it's not about you. You quit with your plans and listen to me. Now, this is really important. Right after this is when Peter comes up to Jesus in a conversation, and he says, hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Really? Seven? This is crazy. What's Jesus say? 70 times 7. Now, we're just going to, you just put that, lodge that in as we keep watching what happens with Jesus and Peter, okay? Very important statement. And then we get to the end of the story. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is going to be crucified very soon. He's having his intimate moment with his disciples. And he says this, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus says, actually, when the rooster crows, you're going to deny me already, Peter, three times. So what super apostles say? Peter declared, and it says in Mark, he insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. So here he is again, right? Amazing moment. And what, what, what happens here, this is crazy to me. Like Jesus is telling Peter, and this is great, when he says Satan is asked to sift each of you, the, the you there is plural. 
So he's, he's talking to all of his disciples. Satan has asked to sift you. And that sift, you guys, to, to sift wheat, it would probably, for us, it'd be the best way to say it, is Satan is asking to tear you apart. He wants to tear every single one of you apart. Jesus made it clear earlier. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then when he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that's singular. He goes, Satan has to sift all of you, but you, Simon, I'm praying for you, buddy, because you're going to go through it. And what's Peter say? No, not me. I'll go with you. I see what he's like. I'll never fail. I'm super apostle. All right. So let's go. And, and Peter takes, so Jesus takes Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus confesses to them. He says, listen, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, you guys. I need you. Right? Jesus goes to pray, comes back. What are they all doing? They're all sleeping. But who does he address? Peter. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch with me for an hour? Super apostle? Never leave you? You couldn't even stay awake with me. And so then the guys come and they arrest Jesus, right? So what's Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he whacks the guy's ear off. He's like, ha ha, I told you, Jesus. And what's Jesus say? Put your sword away. It's like, I mean, seriously, Peter must have been, I can't get nothing right, man. I just, he just kept messing up. And he said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Again, see, you're a stumbling block to me. You're trying to stop God's desires because you've got plans of your own. Any of you guys got plans of your own? So now let's come to this great moment. And I'd love for you, if you would, just kind of go with me on this one. Would you guys just, I'm going to read you a short passage. Would you just close your eyes while I read this? Just close your eyes. And here's, here's why I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine this. I want you to put a screen and just however you see it, doesn't matter. Just imagine and envision this as I read it. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. And now when Peter was sitting in the courtyard, a servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all. He goes, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him. And she said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. The Lord turned, and he looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. As you were watching that story in your own mind's eye, when Jesus turned... And look straight at Peter. What did you see on Jesus' face? Anybody? What did you see? Sorrow. sorrow. How many of you saw sorrow on Jesus' face? Okay, a lot of sorrow. Anybody else? 
love, forgiveness, okay? How many of you saw, like, yeah, compassion or love on, on his face, okay? Anybody else, anything different? Understanding? I told you so. <laughs> How many of you saw him say, I told you so? It's a good one. How about disappointment? Anybody, how, how many of his face was disappointment? Yeah. Okay. I believe that what you saw on Jesus' face when he looked at Peter is how you probably feel God looks at you when you screw up. And I tell you, man, um, that right there is affecting everything about you. Because if, if you haven't noticed, you screw up a lot. If you haven't noticed, you fall short. You fail God a lot. And when you fail him, if in your mind's eye, he's disappointed or angry or whatever at you, then, um, then that's, what you're ha that's what's happening inside of you right now. And I know, man, for me, I, I, I know this stuff, like know it. But I'm telling you, when I really fall short from God, I feel his disappointment. I have to fight that. In fact, a couple years ago, man, I felt like I was on the basketball court, and every time I dribbled the ball, it went off my foot, and I'm passing it, and then turnovers are happening, and I'm shooting air balls, and finally the coach just took me out and set me down at the end of the bench. And he's just standing there kind of just shaking his head. And that's exactly how I felt with God. I just felt like God was saying, you know, nice try, Nelson, but you, you, you can't do this. That's a crappy feeling. Anybody ever felt like you don't raise your hands? You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you don't measure up. Like Peter had to have felt that way so many times. And I tell you, this is when it gets huge, you guys, because he blew it. He fell short. He didn't get it right. And see, as we talk about in our human relationships, when people do that, then we pull our love away and our love just stops. And here's what Jesus says, man, right after the resurrection happens, right? The women are at the tomb and they walk in and the, and the person sitting inside says, hey, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here, man. He's risen again. And then he said, go tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Go tell the disciples and then make sure Peter hears this because he's feeling really, you guys know, I'm going to defend you, Jesus. This will never happen to you. And then he watches his, as he denied him three times, he watches his savior get crucified. How do you think he was feeling? And here's Jesus going, I've risen again. Make sure Peter knows that. You know how good that is? You know what he's saying? Make sure Peter knows he's got a second chance, baby. I, that's who I am. I am risen from the grave, and we're not done yet. You've messed up. We're not done yet. So then, at the very last chapter of John, chapter 21, he takes Peter, and he pulls him aside in front of all of his disciples. He sits there, and he goes, Peter, hey, do you love me? Yeah, man, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, can I ask you one, one thing? Do you love me? And then said, Peter's like, bro, he's sad. Like, of course, Lord, you, you, know, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And I believe in that moment, you guys, what Jesus, you, you, every Bible, the heading of that, of that story is the restoration of Peter. It was in that moment that Jesus was letting him know, my love never gives up. Now you be who I've created you to be. Isn't that beautiful? Be who I've created you to be. Feed my sheep. 
Remember, he said, after you've turned, Satan's asked to sift you as wheat. And by the way, he got sifted, didn't he? He fell, man. He got ripped apart. Jesus didn't say, I won't stop that from happening, did he? It's kind of a bummer. But that's what happens. But I'm going to pray for you so that your faith doesn't fail. And then after you've turned again to me, strengthen your brothers. Feed my sheep, Peter. You're going to know like nobody else knows that I have a love that doesn't give up. And all these other people are going to think that it does. And you're the one who's got to go out and tell them there's something different. I went ahead and I let you experience your humanity. I let you experience your pride. And you fell just like everybody else does. Okay? You're not super apostle, are you? No, I'm not. You are dearly loved by me, aren't you? Yes, I am. And I have a love for you that doesn't give up. Be the leader I made you to be. And so then, you guys, in 1 Peter 5, what we see is Peter writing at the end of this book, just really quick, I'm just going to bust through this, really cool. It says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves there before God's mighty hand that he can lift you up. Peter learned a lesson, didn't he? This proud thing doesn't work very well. But if you humble yourself, God will lift you up and then cast your cares on him, you guys, because he, he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him. I mean, I, I can't imagine how many times Peter must have been feeling like, is, this, is that screw up? The, was that the last one? Is that, was that too many? Is Jesus going to finally give up on me? I wonder how anxious he was during those moments. Well, what does he know now? Jesus doesn't give up on me. So cast your anxiety on him. He really does care for you. And then be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he does. And by the way, I know that Jesus has told us that Satan wants to sift you too, man. He wants to tear you apart. He wants to tear your marriage apart. He wants to tear your life apart. He wants to tear your relationship with God apart. He wants to tear your soul apart. So what does he do? He lies and lies and lies about God. And what his love is really like. And that's why you've got to get in here and find out what the love of God is really like in Christ. And it is a love that will not give up. And then he says this beautiful thing in verse 10. May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, that he will himself, I love that, restore you. And he'll make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You guys, you know what? You know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to take all this junk out of us and he wants to put his love inside of us and he wants to make you strong and firm and steadfast. Doesn't that feel good? Instead of shaky? Everybody might leave me. I might fall short. And Jesus is like, I know you fall short. That's the point. So I'm coming in to secure you so you can know that I love you and I won't let you go. And so can I just encourage you? How are you going to respond to that? Remember, the only thing that counts is what? Faith expressing itself through love. Will you put your faith in Christ's love for you like Peter did? Because I tell you what, when you screw up, how many of you hide and shame? You know, how many of you withdraw from God when you screw up? Okay, most of us do. We're like, Ugh. Peter, you know what Peter did? He ran towards him. He actually really believed this. And because of that, he felt the restoration and it was true. Let Jesus love you the way that he shows you his love is like. And then here's the cool thing. If you start to actually receive and experience God's love like that, guess what happens? You now have it to give to each other. You now have it for your marriage with your screwed up spouse, 
and they have it for screwed up you, right? You now have it for a screwed up church. You just don't give up on people when they don't meet your expectations and don't just leave people because they're not being what you want. The church is supposed to be people who have been loved so deeply by God that we can now give each other that love. And here's what's cool, you guys. If a human being experiences that type of grace and that type of love, you know what happens to them? It changes their life. It changes their life. In fact, it can save a life. And that's what we're going to watch right now. One of the greatest stories, man, this week I've been in tears all week watching this video. We're going to put on love, we're going to put love on display right now in a story that's happened right here at K2 The Church. So you guys soak in this, relish in it, and then you'll have a chance just to worship this God who can do the same thing for you. Let's do it. Okay, you, gotta, you have to help me here because I, okay. I, uh, I can start out with um, uh, 20 years of addiction, uh, using drugs for 20 years. Scott and I have known each other um, since I was about 17 years old. I promised my wife that I would stop smoking marijuana when we got married, but then uh, after a few months here, I realized that I thought I could do it every now and then, maybe even do it behind her back. And then next thing you know, I had a bag of weed in my pocket, so she caught me. Seven months into our marriage, after coming home from a business trip, I learned that Scott had been smoking marijuana. We immediately went into marriage counseling. And then uh, I did it again, and she caught me again. And this is gonna sound so repetitive, but I did it again. And the third time that she caught me, I realized it was, you know, Scott, you better quit smoking pot or you're gonna lose your family. It became very apparent that um, drugs at that point had really kind of taken over and it wasn't gonna be just this, I'm, I'm done with it. It was going to be a process for him. The, the crazy thing was that I, um, I was attacked by Satan. Literally, I've never seen anything like it when I was at this job and I quit smoking pot. As soon as I quit, I, it was coming to me every day. Hey, do you want to get high? Do you want to get high? And I said, no, I quit and everything. And so three weeks into of not, not smoking pot, I ended up caving in and thinking, you know what, I got to go smoke a bowl of weed. And so I went out to this guy's truck and I asked him if he had a bowl of weed. And he said, no, but I got a bowl of speed. And I didn't really know much about meth at the time, but I was willing to do anything to keep my, you know, just keep working. So I ended up doing it and I didn't go to sleep that night. And then I go to work the next day thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't slept at all. He would go into paranoid states and just start crying and just get very, up, very upset. His temper would flare. He would be up and not able to sleep at odd hours of the night, I'd find him in the garage playing his guitar. And I'd used drugs so long in my life that I thought I could, I could control this. It came to a head on December 23rd, um, two days before Christmas. Scott and I got into an argument and his behavior got so out of control that I was literally scared for my life. My morals, everything about me was changing. I was losing weight. Uh, I had quit going, going to church, and uh, I got in a big fight with Julie. 
And it was such a bad fight that I realized I've got to come clean with her on this. And Scott started slowly confessing uh, what, had, what was really going on. I was coming clean on thousands of lies. But the fight was so bad that I had to let her know that that wasn't the real me, um, that something was going on. And so I told her and she ended up kicking me out again. I was too ashamed to tell anybody, didn't really know where to go, what to do. So of course I went to the dope man's house. This is where it got really amazing. Well, I got a phone call from Scott's wife at one o'clock in the morning. And I explained to him kind of what had happened. So I said, okay, well, I'll, uh, you know, start trying to get a hold of him and see if we can find him and track him down. And then I immediately, as soon as I got off the phone with her, I called uh, Brian Little. And after I hung up with Dave and started calling him and looking for him and sending him text messages. Brian and Dave were calling me all night long. And I just, I don't know, shame, guilt, whatever you want to call it, I just couldn't answer the phone. Um, and then the next day, I'm not sure if Dave called me and I answered or if I called Dave. Uh, he probably called me and I answered the phone and he was kind of like, so what are you doing? I said, I guess I think I, I'm coming over. We just sat and talked with Scott about, uh, about his drug problem, about his, uh, all of his life problem, his anger. And he was pretty low, um, and pretty devastated from the situation that he had found himself in. Brian asked me if I wanted to give up six months of my life to get my life right, to save my marriage. And I mean, I'm bawling like a baby. I'm crying like a newborn baby here. <clears throat> and I said, yeah, I'd be willing to do anything, you know. We got up at 7.30 the next morning and I dropped him off at the rescue mission. And that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life, to drop him off there. Um, and to drive away, but knowing that it was the best thing for him. I pretty much had to accept that life as we knew it was going to be very different. And it, and God was basically saying, uh, you've, you've been keeping this going long enough, it's time to let it all fall apart. She just poured her heart out and she told me, Melissa, I just can't pray right now. Would you pray for me? And it was that love and support, um, people being the hands and feet of Jesus that kept us going. God shook my world. In the New Life program, I realized some of the things that had happened earlier in life that made it such a dependency on something to numb some of the things. Uh, it was a matter of forgiving myself and forgiving others. God showed me the things that were wrong with me, you know, and he slowly took those things away from me. I had to understand what it means to be forgiven by God. I had thought God, I thought God, God had uh, kind of disowned me. And the truth was that he was there the whole time. But I think the, the larger story is, you know, God's redemption of Scott. I finally got, you know, Finally, I finally allowed God to be in his rightful place, number one in my life. I am able to see that man that, that I always 
knew was in there, um, living his life out for God, um, which was always in his heart. It, he just had to, to dig out the gunk to finally give in. He took a man, he humbled him to bring him back. He used a couple of people, we were just vessels being used to help him. I see nothing but God's timing and grace and love through this whole situation with the people that stepped into Scott's life. There are people out there that I can trust and uh, who let me cry, scream at them, whine like a baby, just poor me and, and stood by me through all that and still loved me. And uh, I love them for that and I thank them so much. There was not one time during that moment that, that I was alone. It was almost like any time that I prayed to God, He either gave me a name in my head that I could, someone I could reach out to, or someone was reaching out to me before I could even pick up the phone. That glory goes straight to God and God only. I mean, that's all Brian and I did was answer a call. That's all we did. You know, the rest of it was totally God. God gets so much glory for this because he literally did it all. I mean, I, Brian and I didn't have any experience with dealing with drug addiction. I mean, we didn't really have anything to offer to them other than just to be their friends through it. I'd like to see Scott um, share this with other people, what, what God's done with him, where he's been, and how there's hope. Even when you feel like you're at the darkest places there are, there's hope. And can run 100 miles away, and it's only one step back. So this last week, and Julie, Scott's wife, wrote an email to Dave Nelson, and uh, man, I think it just, it tells the rest of the story so well. I want to read that, a part of that to you. She says, Scott and I were not equipped to endure. It is not in my DNA to have stayed in a relationship that had caused so much betrayal and hurt. And it wasn't in Scott's DNA to live day after day in a homeless shelter digging through 20-plus years of pain. It was not the love produced from our union as a couple that got us through this. That had been almost been destroyed by both of us by the time January 9th, 2012 rolled around. What kept us going was the magnetic force of God's love that we felt spurring us on every day, sometimes reminding us that taking it one day at a time was too much and to go minute by minute. Scott could walk out of the program at any time, and it was never certain that I would be waiting for him if he finished. I could walk out of the marriage at any time, and it was never certain that God, Scott would finish the new life program. However, the love that we saw through others, fueled by the Holy Spirit, just brought what we knew of God into physical form. It was that unconditional love 
that agape love that kept us right where God wanted us to be. And although it's not the romantic answer to the situation, it was others' obedience to God's call on them for that time, for that time period in our lives that allowed us to be obedient to where God had us. It was a force of that love that allowed us to be still and to be transformed. You see, God hasn't given up on Scott. Scott, God didn't give up on Julie. God didn't give up on, on Peter. God didn't give up on me, and God hasn't given up on you. That's the truth. God hasn't given up. He's pursuing us with this relentless passion pursuing us because we keep turning our backs to him. We keep going through down these, these roads that lead us down to destruction. Maybe for you it's drugs. Maybe it's not drugs. Maybe there's something else in your life that, that God, is, God is using, um, that God's going to use, that as you have turned your back on God and you've chosen some other path. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's affairs. Maybe it's being a good steward with the resources that, that God has given you. Maybe you haven't been being a good steward. Maybe you haven't been bringing the tithe. Maybe, maybe it's pride. Maybe God's working in your heart right now and saying, there is something in your life right now that you know that you need to change. You know it needs to be different. And he's just telling you right now, I love you. I am pursuing you with everything that I am. And I want you to know right now in this moment that I love you and I'm coming for you. Listen back to that, 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 that passage in 1 Peter that Dave read for us. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered for a little while, will himself, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God himself will restore you. He's calling you. As the prayer team comes up, I want you to know that we're going to do something a little bit different uh, this morning than we, than we normally do. We're going to give you guys a chance to respond to this message right now. For some of you, I, can, I know that you've You've never accepted Jesus before in your life. And you're, you're lost. You know that you're, you're broken. You know you've gone the wrong way. But yet, you haven't given yourself over to him completely yet. This is your time. This is your time to make that decision. For some of you, you, you've been a follower for a while, but man, you're struggling. You're struggling with some sort of sin that's been holding you back. And this is your time to let that go and to turn. We want to pray with you through this. We want to help you to see the love that God has for, has for you. You can't do it alone. We do this together. This is part of being a community, is loving each other and accepting that, that, that forgiveness and accepting a relationship so I'm going to invite you to do that, to, to come down the aisles. 
and receive prayer. Let's do that as we sing Amazing Grace.